The Real Estate Sessions is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising brilliantly simple. Choose your zip code and build your brand. Enter an address and promote your listings. Or upload your list and stay top of mind with your sphere of influence. And if you go to adworks.com slash billrisser, you'll do more than just build brand awareness or nurture your network. Right now, you get to save 15% off your purchase, and I get to send 10% to the Colon Cancer Alliance, an organization that means a great deal to me. That's adworks.com slash billrisser. Folks who don't think that terrible policy isn't written every year that could affect their jobs um, in, in Washington and in your home state, uh, you just you need to see it firsthand. You need to realize how dramatically um, it could shift our businesses. It could shift property rights for our clients, uh, that it could shift the ability for, you know, for young people and first time home buyers to buy homes. Once you see that, it's very difficult to say, I'm just going to put on the blinders and just sell. Somebody else will do it for me. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 105 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. I'm very excited today. I know I've had been on a bit of a Coldwell Banker jag, but there's some pretty cool people doing things at Coldwell Banker. Uh, for this episode, we're going back to the Pacific Northwest, and we're going to talk to Sam DeBoard. He's the Vice President of Strategic Growth with Coldwell Banker Danforth, one of the largest Coldwell Banker offices in the in the country. He's also with the Seattle Homes team. Uh, that's the, his you know his group that he works with. We'll talk a lot about that. We're going to talk a lot about Sam's takes on a few things. He's as an author, he loves to contribute to a lot of different places, and I can't wait to talk to him. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. I'm excited to be here. So first of all, I, I the same question I ask everybody. Are you a native of Seattle? Is that where you grew up? Uh, the Seattle area. Grew up in Olympia, Washington, um, and so spent the majority of my life in, um, in the greater Seattle area. I spent uh, some time in California bouncing around for college and for work, et cetera. But this is where I've spent most of my life. So you went to Southern Cal for school, but you ended up coming back to the Pacific Northwest. You like it a lot. I do. I do. There's um, there's certainly things that you miss in Southern California. Uh, in February, we all everyone in Seattle has to take a, a trip somewhere, a vacation somewhere to get out of the gray gloom. So we could certainly use some of that uh, winter weather, but we've always said that uh, summers in the Pacific Northwest, I wouldn't trade it for anything. We have a lot of ray, gray, gray raining months um, through uh, at least half of the year, but it's it's about as beautiful as it gets here in the summer. Yeah, I've I've been there in Seattle in the summer. It's spectacular. So I, I get that part. And if it is, we we could certainly use your Florida winters as well, we would trade that part. Uh, but uh, you know, there's a trade off everywhere. True. You're right. You're right. Now, look, I I was doing some digging and looking at some of your stuff and I, I am completely confused. I, I go to your Facebook account, your profile, and I see this really cool picture. Game day must have been in Washington. It's, it's probably you and hopefully those are family members of yours who are posing with Corso and Kurt and Herb Street. I mean, it's just awesome. And you're wearing a UW hat like I would expect you to wear. But sure. you go a little deeper into Sam DeBoard and you went to USC. You got a business degree out of Southern California. And I'm thinking... First of all, this season alone, those two schools are probably going to play each other at the Pac-12 championship. We hope. So, yeah, so tell me, t- let's talk about that for a while. 
Yeah, um, I get all kinds of grief from my friends about this. And so it's uh, not not surprised you brought the topic up for real sports fans. Um, I mean, I grew up a Husky. I grew up in the area. This is what my, you know, my family loved the Huskies. We went to games whenever we could. Uh, my little brother played football for the Huskies. So um, it's a it's a family thing. We've, we've gone to games for years here. But I suppose I had a little bit of... Um, need for sunshine when it came around to time to pick a college. And I was looking for the best business schools around. I got accepted into a great program at USC's business school, and I could start in the business school as a freshman and do four full years of business school there. So it just worked out, the combination of great business school um, and the sunshine, which certainly didn't hurt uh, the recruiting to get me down there. So um, love the Trojans, love USC, had a great time there. We weren't particularly wonderful as a football program while I was there, but obviously we've had some great years. So um, I've got split allegiances. My USC friends think that uh, I'm a traitor when the Washington game comes around. My UW friends like to laugh at me when USC has a bad year, but uh, it's two programs that are not so hard to back. No, not right now, especially. I'm gonna, so when, when they're playing each other, say that say USC comes up to, uh, to, to Seattle, you're wearing the, the purple. You're a Husky fan at that game. I almost don't want to answer this question because there's no real good way for me to answer it right. <laughs> right. Um, you know, it's like the people who say I'm a big Pac-12 honk and everybody says, sure, but do who do you root for when your rival is playing somebody from outside of the conference? Right. Uh, you know, I want the team that's got the best chance to go the farthest to go the farthest. And that won't satisfy any hardcore sports fan. Um, they'll call me a fair weather fan for it. But frankly, there's no good answer for me to have. So if we've got a team that can make the playoff, that's the one I'm rooting on. Yeah. Look, if that's your if that's the toughest decision you got to make in a given year, you're you're doing fine. So like that's I, no, I, no I suppose. I suppose. I'm. Uh, have you uh, switched your allegiances from Arizona State now that you're uh, out in Florida? Have you picked up any Gator love out there? Well, I hang out with Sean Carpenter online a lot, so I have no choice. Sure, sure. I, and I'm going, <laughs> going to my first SEC game. I'm going to see Texas A&M play Florida in October. At the Swamp. Oh, I can't wait. Because right? I grew up in San Diego, then lived in Phoenix for 17 years. My son's an ASU grad. Uh, so it's, you know, there's, I guess I follow it a little bit. But now I'm going to go off on a tangent real quick on your podcast. Yeah. So I appreciate this. I grew up in San Diego. I I, I always was that fan who um, hated the fact that whenever the Dodgers came to town to play the Padres or the Raiders came to play the Chargers, half the stadium rooted for the other team. It happens yeah. in San Diego and it happens in Phoenix. It happens in all the nice warm weather places where all the people bail on their, their miserable, cold, snowy back east places and they, they, sure. they relocate sure. out here and then they root for the right. team they grew up with. I, yeah. I, I, the Chargers made it easy by going to L.A. because they're dead to me now. But I, <laughs> I, I, I'll have a soft spot in my heart for the Cardinals. But look, I'm a Bucks fan now. I live here. I bought a Bucks hat. I've got Bucks stuff on my truck. I support the team where I live. And I, you're kind of doing the same thing with your. That's, that's, that's the way you've got to go. Absolutely. I, I was in San Diego for a couple of years as well. And we always saw the same thing. And you've got the hardcore fans from elsewhere. And frankly, you know, we've got some great schools in the Pac-12. Um, but we all know what it's like to go to an SEC game if we've seen it. I've been to a couple Georgia games with family who lives out there. Oh. Um, it's an experience. It's unbelievable. And, and it doesn't take anything away from the quality of our programs, that SEC football experience on game day is uh, it's really pretty amazing yeah unlike anything in the pac-12 i'm sure i i just it's going to be great i'm looking forward to it so you're at usc business school are, is a is a career as a realtor kind of in your future i'm, I'm guessing probably not most people aren't thinking that way 
Not at all. Not at all. Hadn't thought about it. Um, I was, you know, basically going through the marketing and advertising program. Um, didn't like sales, didn't want to do sales. And, and it was a good experience to see all different sides of finance and economics and everything else. Um, but, but that just wasn't uh, in the cards. I, you know, took a business law class where they talked about real estate a little bit and there was some, a little bit of interest there. But I think that's so many people, real estate is a second career for them. Not even, you know, just because of the, the need to have some assets and some safety net um, to get into it, but it's a very independent sort of job to take on. And I think a lot of people want to get some more employment experience before they jump out there and they're an individual salesperson on their own. So um, it was it was not top of mind. I did web design and web development for the university as a job during during most of the week. I worked for a William M. Mercer Consulting, which was basically healthcare consulting in the evenings and on weekends. Um, which was sort of my look into the consulting world while I was in college, but but real estate was not on the radar. But you ended up going to one of the big four firms, right, when you got out of school? I did, yes. Um, so it was big five at the time, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, so I worked for their management consulting services group. Uh, and all of our clients at the time were tech companies. This was the last tech boom. So uh, moved up to the Bay Area and all of our clients between the Valley and, and the city were either startups who just couldn't hire enough staff to do the technical work they needed to do or larger companies who were doing new software implementations or upgrading their systems. Um, and frankly, it was it was a labor war just like it is today. All of the big companies were trying to steal employees from each other. Uh, and so consulting was great. Um, they they needed us you know, rookies out of college like myself, um, the the big consulting firms could charge pretty big fees to get us in there and work with these companies. So it was really interesting. You know, you got to see into a lot of different kinds of companies, a little bit of the craziness of the tech culture and, you know, show up at a project at two in the morning because a server program needed to be restarted, et cetera. It was a, a nice insight into that life. Right. And um, I'm sure that all of that knowledge, all of that um, development that personal development you went through absolutely translated when you decided to become uh, involved in the real estate world, right? Well, I think it, um, it it gives you some insight into how some big businesses are run. Uh, I think that there are some people in the real estate world who maybe their parents were realtors. They understand it from the start. They understand the individual sales model, which is unbelievably valuable um, for somebody to get into that business and understand um, exactly how an individual salesperson builds a business and maintains it. But I think it was nice for me for an operational side to be able to see how the management of an organization would work, how all the technical tools might fit together and how you might find software programs and tools that could um, make your business run more efficiently, allow you to reach customers at, at broader scale more quickly. So what was that trigger? What was that event that uh, got you in, in, involved in the real estate space? Well, it wasn't exactly um, <clears throat> something that I triggered myself. Uh, you know, the work was going well, got a promotion in my first couple of years, um, but then tech melted down. And frankly, I had a lot of friends in the Bay Area who over a one-year period went from being well-paid professionals to people who came over to my house and played video games with me as we sent out uh, applications to companies all day because everyone was laying everyone off. Nobody was hiring and and the jobs just dried up. It's all the all the uh, dot com started going out of business. 
the consulting services dropped and they just there was no need for for most of the staff we had. So I uh, I ended up talking to a friend who was in the mortgage business and I, I was in the mortgage business before I got into real estate sales. And it just it made sense. It was high flying times there. Um, just seemed like a, a great thing to try out and get away from the consulting side and the tech for a while. So I got into that business. Things were going very well. It was uh, frankly easy. Anybody who could fog a mirror could get a loan. That's um, I'm sure you've heard that before. But, um, you know, we were turning over loans hand over fist. And, and it was a great business for that. Little did we know that it would fall apart, you know, in the next few years, too. But eventually I bumped into my business partner who um, had his own brokerage. He uh, this is my wife and I moved back up to Seattle, was still doing the loan business. Um, and my business partner had a brokerage, was doing online lead generation, had a great base, but really needed somebody to, um, you know, to really fully develop his websites and his web platform. So we partnered up and started basically doing lots of lead gen until the point we got big enough where we couldn't handle the leads ourselves and started expanding to a team and and uh, and on into the brokerage level where we joined a, a large Coldwell Banker franchise named Coldwell Banker Danforth. Um, we've got our team that works within the organization now. We've got a handful of salespeople who do most of the day-to-day sales. We sort of manage the systems, the lead gen, lead conversion, um, all the agent support tools, and then I, you know, work with the uh, the franchise management team as well as as VP of strategic growth. So that's more of a brokerage wide job. So do you also sell? Uh, not much anymore. Okay. Um, I do when it, when I when I have you know friends and and clients who really want you to work with them. Um, you know, there, there's always those situations where they say, I just I need you to help me guide through this. But, but I sell very little personally. I try to get most of the business or virtually all of it um, to our team members. I still have good you know, friends and past clients so I can hand off to a great agent and say, you know, Joan's been selling for 30 years. She's sold twice as long as I have. Everybody loves her. Um, this is the person you want to be working with. And frankly, I'm going to be at a conference two out of every, you know, two out of every four weeks for the next three months you know, and working on brokerage management things, I'm not the greatest day-to-day salesperson anymore because of the other responsibilities I have. So it works pretty well that way. Right. Can Can I ask you how you handle the, I'm sure it's going to be through training, but uh, in my role where I, I talk to a lot of agents about what they're doing, the getting of the lead is, I'm going to call it relatively easy, but it's knowing what to do with the lead once you've got it is where a lot of agents struggle. <laughs> So how how do you do you or do you have a hand in how that part's um, handled it at at Coldwell Banker Danforth? Yes, so um, you're absolutely right. Um, lead conversion is at least as important as lead generation, and um, you know handing agents leads and hoping that they'll close them is is good for neither of you. If they don't have the tools and the systems and the skills to really do the right follow up, um, you're not going to get a return on your investment in those leads as a brokerage. And the agents are going to say, these are bad leads. The leads were bad. We're not closing any of them. And frankly, that's probably the brokerage or the team leader's fault if that's what's happening. If you're not giving them the tools and the support and the systems to do the follow-up correctly and just hoping that they'll just call five times a day, you know, you're setting them up for failure. So we, um, we've got all kinds of systems in place. We've got virtual assistants who are contacting folks via text, via email, We've got folks following up with phone calls. We've got obviously a CRM system where 
managers, agents, assistants, lenders can all see what's happening with these leads at the same time. We don't bludgeon people to death. It's not a 10 days of pain. You know, you're going to hate us or you're going to work with us situation. Everything we send out is customized. If they get an email from us, it's going to say, hey, John, I see you're looking for a home in Redmond, as opposed to, hey, John, not even John, hey there, do you want to buy a house? Um, so we try to be very careful about not being obnoxious. But at the same time, it's it's got to be really consistent, um, fairly heavy follow-up with most internet leads. So um, for us, it's really about making sure we've got those follow-up systems in place and that everybody can be accountable by seeing what's happening in the back end on the CRM so we can all come to the same conclusions as to why leads are closing and why they're not. Right. Analytics, right? That's great. I, I love the Absolutely. fact that you're following up with that. Um, you, you love to write. You, you contribute to a lot of different places. I, you help Swanapol's uh, trends report. You're mm-hmm. in the news a lot. You've been in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today. Is it a passion of yours? Is that why you like to just share this information? Is there, is there also a, a benefit for you, you know, as, as in your role with Cobalt Banker to be out there like that? Talk about, you know, your, your, the, the way that works for you. Yeah, there's a definite benefit. And I'll be honest, when I started writing for real estate, it was purely for search engine optimization. I mean, I was just building content, um, trying to generate links into our website. So we rose up in the rankings. Uh, I would write for whatever news outlet would let me write an article for them as long as we'd get a link back to our website. It's really simple, sort of primitive SEO from back in the day. Um, but it worked. I mean, we ranked up with, you know, with all the big dogs on page one of Google results. We still do. We've got um, websites that have been online for 20 years now, and they've got enough ranking history and uh, such a big link profile from the content that I've written um, and had published on different sites that that we still rank really highly and get a lot of traffic through that. But after you do it for a while, you get bored of writing the same old thing, the same old content that is, you know, information about a transaction or a neighborhood. And frankly, you start seeing what other people are writing and some of it's great and some of it's not. Uh, Some of the information that's being given to agents as expert advice um, seems very off when you're reading it as someone who has sold real estate. Um, Some of the analysis of what you're seeing in the marketplace in the industry uh, just doesn't seem to be getting the relevance of, of the direction where the industry is going. So for me, it's there's certainly just direct business value involved. There's something there where you want to be able to get out there and give people insights into what's actually happening in the industry. But on another level as well, when it comes to the realtor association side, um, NAR, the home ownership initiatives, I mean, I truly believe in that. It seems simplistic. Um, seems like a little bit of a politician speech that, you know, we're, we're driving for home ownership. Well, of course we are because we're real estate professionals, but you know, that's just something that I saw growing up that was it was really the sole driver of my parents' ability to have financial freedom. My dad was a public school teacher. I was one of six kids. We were great. We were fine, but we never had extra money. There was never um, any fat in the budget. And my parents' ability to buy a home, a tiny, teeny little ramshackle home, and a few years later have it fixed up and buy another one over and over, I'm 100% convinced that that's the only reason they're comfortably retired today. And, and I'll put on that Boy Scout hat when uh, I am out preaching the, the good news of homeownership through, uh, through NAR, through the realtor organization, anyone that's going to support that, because it really bothers me when I see 
when I see writing that doesn't understand that from an analytical perspective, that it's more than just a sale, that there's actually community good that's created through homeownership in, in schools and crime rates and um, and the upkeep and maintenance of, of an area. So I think it's really important to me and it, it drives me to, to write more when it's necessary. You definitely don't pull any punches with when you're sharing your take with uh, the world. I, I want to know, has that ever, have you ever created a situation or maybe a response or something that you really, really weren't ready for? Yeah, that happens. Okay. Um, everybody wants a strong opinion until they decide that it's wrong. And, um, and, and certainly, you know, sometimes you start getting confident and you get a little bit of a big mouth and you find out that you don't know what you don't know, you know, write something very strongly on a topic and realize that, you know, there was uh, something about the industry or about a company or a technology that you just didn't understand yet. You sort of jumped the gun. Um, and that's happened. You know, I've written about things like the broker public portal, um, which I thought, you know, was really interesting. And I, I think it's still a, a good cause. Um, I understand why some folks have, you know, doubts about it long term. Um, but I think it's a good idea. But then again, you step on the toes of folks who are doing consulting for the work or people who are already managing it or building it from within who maybe aren't publicly talking about what they're doing. You know, it's uh, if you're going to have a strong opinion, if you're going to put a lot of content out, sometimes you are you're going to step on toes. I've, I've written about tech companies that I frankly just thought they didn't understand the real estate industry um, or what they were doing really had no value add for the consumer. It was a good way for them to, you know, generate traffic and advertising with some new gimmick that they had. But I didn't think there was any value add for the consumer. And in some cases, it was actually a negative. Um, I've gotten emails from companies threatening to sue me if I didn't take down some comment I made um, in an article about their company. I, I stand by what I wrote, but sometimes it's good to uh, to have a little bit more humility and take your time and think about what you're writing, even if it's a strong opinion before you blast it out to the world. You just wrote a post about Bob Goldberg, the new CEO of the National Association of Realtors. Can you share with the listeners what your take is on, on kind of what NAR needs to do, right? Because I think there's, well, there's definitely two camps floating around out there. And just kind of talk about your take on that situation. Sure. Um, you know, I think that there are all kinds of great things that the Realtor Association does very well already. And it's very easy to focus on the negatives. But there are some things where we need to improve. Um, I think you've heard a lot of those from Bob. You know, I, I don't I don't like the piling on um, of the former CEO. There are always going to be folks who like the way you did business and those who think you should have done it a different way. You know, Dale brought the association through tough financial times. Um, we had a lot of new initiatives. Not everybody loves all of them. But I think uh, the fact that Bob has a new direction he wants to go doesn't necessarily mean that Dale's direction was wrong, um, but we've we've had changing times. People are looking for stronger communication. They're looking for more of a unified voice from uh, their association. And and Bob's you know trying to present that that we're going to be more open and engaging with our membership and have them know what we're doing, whether or not they like it. Um, just that they're not totally disengaged. That they have no idea what's happening with the association. We want them engaged and get feedback from them. So I think that that would be my goal for the association is that we're more focused on our core strengths. We have so, so many things that we do 
as an association that we can get spread very thin. And even though there are a lot of these are quality projects and quality things we're working on, we really have to be focused on, you know, first of all, our voice to our membership. These are the folks who pay the dues, the folks who keep our budgets running, and they have to understand the value and what we're doing for them every day. We've got to provide, if we're going to provide education and tools to them, then they need to be universally available. Uh, we've got to find ways to get past our geographical barriers um, and allow the best tools possible to come from our association and our member boards so that we have sort of a, a unified experience like you'd expect from another corporation. You go to Boston, you're gonna have the same quality of tools that you'll have in Seattle. Obviously, advocacy. Um, the folks who know it are disciples of NAR advocacy. Uh, but not everybody gets it. Not everybody necessarily sees the end result. Uh, and we need to do a better job of that because we're already doing the work really, really well uh, in D.C. and at state and local um, realtor associations. But not everybody in membership necessarily sees what effect that has right on their bottom line. So that's really important to me um, personally because I'm working with the MLS and Emerging Technology Group. Um, and will be vice chair next year. I'm really focused on, and and Bob and the leadership team are too, on on making sure that that value is really evident and that relationship gets stronger between NAR and the MLSs so that we can make MLSs more efficient, so we can break down the geographical barriers where they're not necessary, so that we can make sure the um, the data that brokers need from their MLSs is being efficiently delivered to them and standardized, and that we even you know share that sort of data across MLS borders. I mean, NAR has the ability to have the best data in the world and the most up-to-date and the most accurate if we could get across all of those geographical barriers and unify the, the boots on the ground data that we have from our membership um, but we're sort of disjointed across the country in a lot of ways because of that. So I think focusing on those uh, those handful of core values will really be valuable. And I think that's what I'm hearing from Bob so far is, is going to be the focus. So you'll be helping out on the national level, but you're going to be heavily involved in Washington next year, right? Aren't you going to be president of the Washington Association? So I'm, I'm president of Seattle King County Realtors right now, um, and, and that's our local association of about 6,000 members. Um, next year, I'll be the VP elect of Government Affairs for Washington Realtors. So okay, gotcha. um, it, it's, it's difficult to do to do one uh, one level of association work and not see the other levels that are sort of intertwined with it. So I've done a lot of work with legislative steering here in Washington state um, and then you know, leading for for the current year, um, our local association as well. So it's certainly a lot of hats. It makes for a lot of time on airlines, but uh, it's, it's valuable work. Right. Can you just talk about the importance of volunteerism? I, it, for me, it's I am absolutely stunned and, and really impressed by the people that will step up to the plate, very talented people who, who absolutely it has to affect their business a little bit, but they care enough about what's going on that they will take the time to serve on these committees or run for office. At, with no compensation. Sure, sure. You know, and I think it's, I don't want to paint it that negatively um, because you're absolutely right, but there is value not only to your knowledge about the industry, the knowledge that you can impart to your clients, but but there's credibility involved too. And it's, we okay. don't want people to volunteer simply for credibility, but when you come back to your local clients and say, hey, I'm, I'm president of the board or I'm a director, you know, at the, on the board of directors for the state board, 
um, you know, you present yourself as someone who cares more about just closing a deal every week. So I think there's significant value there, but more importantly, it's about seeing the big picture. Folks who don't think that terrible policy isn't written every year that could affect their jobs um, in, in Washington and in your home state, uh, you just you need to see it firsthand. You need to realize how dramatically um, it could shift our businesses. It could shift property rights for our clients, uh, that it could shift the ability for, you know, for young people and first time home buyers to buy homes. Once you see that, it's very difficult to say, I'm just going to put on the blinders and just sell. Somebody else will do it for me. You realize that, you know, it, this really could change in any single year significantly. Um, and so I think when people really want to give back for for the big picture for this, you know, this job that is amazingly difficult, but also has huge upside. You really can make um, a great living doing this. It takes unbelievable hard work to do it, but you have to realize the shoulders you're standing on. And if you can't support the folks who are volunteering their time and going out to lead this and, and support in some way, whether it's volunteering yourself or just supporting financially these folks, um, it's, it's really missing the big picture of what's supporting industry and homeowners in general. Are you tired of the word disruption yet? Are you okay with it? <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, I can tell from your laugh, you're a little tired of it. I'm just, um, it just seems to me like, well, I'll, I'll phrase it more in a question. You've got, uh, we've got offer pad out there, open door, instant offers, all these things that, um, you know, are, a lot of realtors are upset about, or you see the chatter online is, are they really, do they, should they really be that worried? I mean, Talk to me about your take on that whole what's coming with these companies. Um, yeah, I think your phrasing of it is is important. Is should we really be worried? Right. Um, is, is it something to spend a lot of time being worried about? And, and I wouldn't poo-poo the concern of people that say, you know, these guys might take business, these guys might take market share, um, because that can happen. Some of these companies are funded by big Wall Street investors. They don't get into this space for fun. They get into this space to take market share and to make big money. So um, it, there's certainly a reasonable amount of worry or at least awareness that people should have about new business models coming out. That being said, there are opportunities. Some of these companies are either doing things that as traditional or indie or you know new age brokerages can look at and say, can we adapt that? If this is something that consumers really like, which portion of what they're doing is the actual hook for consumers? And can we adapt part of that into our business? Um, we've been around for over 100 years, so we're not hanging by a string on a, a name with no reputation yet. We may be able to use what they're doing and actually do it better than they're doing. Some of it will fizzle out. It, most of it will fizzle out. That seems to be my, my experience over the past decade is that and most of it just doesn't have um, enough serious concrete business sense to take a large share of the market. Now, that doesn't mean we don't keep an eye on it and say, you know what, this actually is a big shift in the industry. This might make a difference. But for you know, for your average agent or broker, these things are so far off from having a significant effect on your business today. It should be part of your you know annual strategic planning and looking at your SWOT analysis. And maybe each year it becomes more of a concern, and maybe you pay more attention to it. Um, and it's fun. It's fun to watch. It's exciting. There's something new every week. Uh, but I think for most folks, those one-on-one -on -one relationships between clients and agents 
are really their best defensible um, asset in their company. And as long as they continue to keep those strong, there aren't a whole lot of flashy business models that are going to take those folks away. You're a, a part of the Inman crowd. You've uh, presented at Inman. I think have you been, you've been an ambassador there for a few times as well. Talk, sure, talk. you have as well, right? Have, yeah, back in the day. It was kind of back in yeah. 2012. How was your experience? I think you were up there with some goofy pants on stage at one I point. I might have done that, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, for me, look, it's I, I would say there. this is my 105th episode. I think 50 of these people I met through Inman that I've interviewed on this podcast, sure. right? So it's been mm-hmm. very important for me. Talk about it from your point of view is what you do with Coldwell Banker, uh, you know, and and how how Inman and this this sort of connecting works for you? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody goes to the community first, um, which is, uh, as you've said, I've got so many friends, colleagues, folks that I've worked with, um, people I've gotten great ideas from from through uh, the Inman crowd. It's it's just an unbelievable group of folks, you know, just a, a little bit of a different feel when you go to an Inman event than other events. And it's a little little wilder and a little more out there in terms of the ideas and the topics that are being discussed. But I, you know, I, I can't say I've, you know, found between my NAR events and between my Inman events, I don't think there's anywhere else where I've found more folks that have just been, you know, great friends and great folks to know across the industry. The Inman crowd is it's challenging and, and that's kind of fun. They're willing to push the envelope. Um, obviously, the Inman News Network is um, always poking some sort of anthill and and that's okay. That's sort of the expectation there. Sometimes they're riding the wrong horse. Sometimes they're taking it a little too far. Sometimes maybe they're not challenging challenging a new idea enough. But that's fine. You know, we'll we'll adapt and change after we find out that some model doesn't work. But nothing gets immediately rejected. Um, everything is is challenged, but but it's brought up as a potential. And I think that's kind of the most fun thing. I've had so many back and forth with Brad Inman about topics and and he likes it. He doesn't he doesn't challenge it and say, you know, we're not going to print this article because Sam disagrees with me. That's really the the environment they're trying to foster is is one of of real challenge and real arguments and discussions. So the kind of people that get involved in that um, a lot of times are the folks who are changing the industry. You know, I'm, I'm I need to commission a carp art that is Brad with a stick poking an anthill. And I'm sitting back laughing and watching. That'd be great. I think that's I think I, that's it. If Sean hears this. I, I we'll, we'll call up Sean. We'll call up Sean. I think we can get him on that right away. <laughs> well, I've had you here way over what I asked you for, Sam. Let me ask you the same question I've asked every guest. And it's, if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent just getting started in the business, what would it be? Yeah, I'd find some time for focus every day. Um, and whether that's time blocking or not, find some time to focus on the core of your work that you need to do to do prospecting every day. That may sound boring, but if you're not first thing in the morning every day when you don't have an appointment focused on what are the five things I need to do to build my sphere, uh, to bring that next client in, you'll be distracted by Facebook, by Inman News, by everything else that's coming through your inbox. And 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 I fall prey to that all the time as well. It's really easy to get caught up in the latest story and whether you're writing or you're discussing online and you're only thinking about the new iBuyer model or whatever it happens to be. Um, but chances are none of that is going to affect whether or not you're successful in the business. It's going to be your good old fashioned Sean Carpenter style Focus on building those personal relationships, building trust, 
getting out there and meeting folks. Um, and then have your other time for where you delve into the craziness, the what ifs, the um, new big changes that you might make to your business or new experiments you want to try. But make sure you have the time to focus on the core every day. And then you won't find yourself in this cycle of getting more and more distracted from what's actually going to contribute the most to the bottom line of your business. Sam, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, easiest way is probably just email sam at seattlehome.com. That's singular. Feel free to find me on Facebook or LinkedIn, but send me an email anytime. That's uh, it's usually the easiest spot to find me. Thank you so much for your time. I guess I'm going to say go Trojan Huskies uh, <laughs> for you. This we'll, year. Uh, I appreciate we'll it. We'll commiserate over a Sun Devils game sometime soon. Oh, you had to throw that in there. Very good. Thanks, <laughs> thanks a lot, Sam. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, Bill. It's been fun.